This is Tech Talk for Accountant Show, where we discuss the hottest topics, tools, apps, and trends in the accounting industry. This show is sponsored by Rush Tech Support, who is offering all listeners of the show a free IT audit so you can know whether or not your business is at risk of being hacked, having a data breach, or getting fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for non-compliance. You can schedule a free check at rushtech.online slash podcast. Alrighty, and welcome everybody to another episode of the Tech Talk for Accountants show. I'm your host, Andrew Lasish with Tech for Accountants, IT specializing in accounting firms. And with us today is Jennifer Elder. And we're going to be discussing today backup and disaster recovery, what it is, why it's important. And Jennifer is an expert on the topic. She wrote the book, Faster Disaster Recovery. So you know that if you have a book, then basically you're the absolute expert because nobody could publish a book unless they were an expert. So Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So how about giving the listeners a little background on your background and uh, some of the topics that you'd like to discuss today? Oh, well, I can go into my uh, Cliff Notes version of my disaster background. <laughs> so Even better. Pretty much a little bit of everything. Uh, so 2004 was um, what I affectionately refer to as hurricane hell. I was in Florida and that was when we had Hurricane Charlie, Francis, Ivan and Jean, all cat two and above, all in 13 weeks. Uh, so you discovered some really some issues you really hadn't thought about when when you've had four hurricanes back to back. You know, it takes a little while to recover from one, but then you got two, three and four and the infrastructure starts to break down. And you discover how important it is to have really solid IT backups, really solid access. So your infrastructure being able, you know, if everybody is scattered and having to work from home, how are they going to get into your system if the infrastructure is down? These are things we hadn't thought about. Uh, 2005 was a year we went through the entire alphabet and hurricanes went into December. That showed us some different things. Uh, I had been in Maryland and the year that there was a uh, about 3.9 on the Richter scale earthquake in Virginia. And you discover some new things about communication there when cell towers are wobbling, you don't have access. Uh, and then, uh, as a CFO, I had worked for a manufacturing company and the things you discover when your building gets hit by lightning. So I've seen all kinds of disasters around physical disasters and IT disasters. Uh, I've had a what could have been an IT disaster with an employee. So we had uh, an employee that we had to let go, a small company, only about 13 employees. And we did um, top secret contracts with the government. So we had to have a facility security officer. There's the, that's the person who manages your clearance 
the person who manages your uh, top secret cone of silence room, your skiff. Uh, and so when we let her go, my IT guy didn't think to turn off her access because he had other things he was working on. And he's like, she's our facility security officer. What harm can happen? Oh, except we found out because she had the keys to the kingdom. She was the one person aside from our IT person who had all the logins to our system. So she logged in from home and wiped out all of her files. The only reason Jake kept his job was that he had multiple backups and they had worked. <laughs> so. Multiple backups and they had worked. And that's actually something that we see a lot when we come in with new clients or new prospects and we're going through the checklist of publication 4557. And one of the the line items on it is, do you have backup? And the question is, always, the answer is always, yes, yes, of course I do. I have this external drive, uh, you know, and I, I plug it in and, and back it up. And, and then the next question I ask is, when was the last time you, you checked it? Yes. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't check it all the time, but, and they, I have them plug it in for me. And it's like, your last backup was six months ago. Like, Let's say in a perfect world, it works, which you haven't tested. Is it going to be that beneficial to have lost the last six months of business and pick up where you were at in March? Because all your relevant things have happened in the last 90 days. Mm -hmm. So testing the backups is something, not only just having it, set it and forget it, because it, it can't just be set and forget. You need some way to test it to make sure that it actually works. Cause it's great to sleep at night and know I've got my backups in case anything happens, but it really, really matters when something happens that it works. So yes. in, in the scenario you were describing, had you guys tested it or was it just like, Hey, we have backups. Let's, let's see what happens. Uh, fortunately in that scenario, uh, again, Jake was able to keep his job because he actually had followed our process and procedure. We had multiple backup systems, uh, one on-site, uh, one off-site. And the interesting thing was that he had set them up to run at different times. So they weren't the exact same backup. In case one failed, you didn't, you didn't have to worry as much. Um, she was able to access the on-site backup and erase that as well. But it was the off-site backup that she wasn't able to get to. And Jake was, re was required, according to our process, to ensure that the backups ran every night. So he had set it up that if the backups did not actually run, he would get an email and a text. So he would be notified if they didn't work. So there are two elements there. When, when we talk about does a backup work is did it run when it was supposed to? And then the second one is, can you access it? And does it did not only did it work, so did it back up at midnight last night? But if your system got wiped out, could you reload from that backup? Um, in Superstorm Sandy, uh, my sister worked for Marina in New Jersey. They had water that was 12 feet higher than normal. 
So their entire office was flooded. The day before, she had called uh, her IT person and said, make sure we have backups running. And he was um, a little busy, a little distracted. And he said, yeah, they run every night. He didn't check. They hadn't run for two months. And they didn't find this out until about a week after the storm, because the New York, New Jersey area was without power for nine weeks. Um, her office had been entirely flooded. So all the paper documents were useless. So my sister had to try and recreate all the transactions in the system based on a bank statement and trying to remember what was what. And thank goodness she'd worked there for 40 years and has almost an didactic memory. So she could do that. But uh, there are other companies. Yeah, that's a one in a million shot. Um, And years and years and years ago, so I will date myself, uh, one of the CPA firms I worked for, we had, you remember those little three inch floppy disks? Oh, you Uh, mean the save icon? That was a real thing? (laughs) (laughs) So we were doing updating our uh, tax software and you had to do it computer by computer by computer. You didn't have servers. And so everybody had backed up their system and you back it up in a series of, I think some of them were between five disks and say 15. And on one of our systems, somebody didn't check that the backup was accessible. So the backup ran, they went through about six disks, but before doing the update, they didn't test the disks to see if they could reuse them. And sure enough, on about disk three, there was a fatal error, which means you're out. You're not, these, the rest of this whole thing is now useless. And so you lost all of your data. So you can't just assume it isn't like you say, it's not a set it and forget it. You have to double check. And you, there are ways to, to do this automatically with text alerts, but then there are things you have to do manually, which is pretend you've just lost everything. Yeah. Can you reinstall not just your data, but your software? That's another thing that people forget. Yeah. And that's one of the things that the, at least for, for myself and my experience with backup and, you know, as we progress in our knowledge is always, I mean, everything in IT is always changing, but I think a lot of people are under the assumption that a file backup. So say your carbonite or something like that is going to be the same as an image backup, which if you know, you're not familiar with it, a file backup would be, you got all your word documents, your Excel documents, things like that. But you go to reinstall Drake and the files aren't there because you were only getting the files. You weren't getting the system files and the software. So that's where the image backup would be basically, you know, like if you take a picture of exactly how the computer looks right now, you can restore from that as opposed to what most people think of with the 
well, I've, I've got all my word documents back up, which is still a million times better than nothing. Mm-hmm. But we've seen where people, they only had file level backup and something happens and then, okay, here's the restoration process. And well, what about this? What about that? And if all you have is the file backup, then all you can back up are your files. So understanding the differences between the two of them and, you know, why wouldn't somebody choose image backup every time? It's going to be a longer recovery time. It's going to be more expensive. You're going to have to take up more space. If you're running multiple layers of backups, which is a very smart thing to do every time you do that, well, it depends on the software, but we'll just talk at a high level. Every time you do that, if you had to back up, say it was a hundred gigs and you've got five backups, that's 500 gigs. And I know the IT people are like, oh, you can do staggered backups. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm aware. <laughs> but, but you know, you can't, again, we'll go back to the, you can't assume. So when people say, well, I've got one backup, that's fine. And what if it doesn't reinstall? What? And the other issue, well, two other issues that I see with people is that they don't archive their backups. They just rewrite over everything. And that's just asking for trouble. Somewhere along the line, you need to have fixed archives so that if one of your backups doesn't reinstall, you don't lose six months, a year of data. You can go back to last week. So, Adam, I mean, it. how often you do an archive backup will depend on how much data you have and how often it changes. But um, for the companies I worked with, I always wanted at least one imaged backup, the full backup once a week so that I knew it was there. And then you've got to start. We would archive those once a week backups. And after about six months, we could then reuse some of that space. But uh, another one of the reasons to think about that is if your backup is in the cloud, there are a couple of issues there. Number one is what's the disaster plan for your cloud server host? Uh, Hurricane Katrina, when that hit in New Orleans, that took down everybody. And there was one privately owned cloud server company that was back up and running in 24 hours. The big guys, not so much. And the difference was that small privately held cloud server had mirrored access on both coasts. So they had mirrored access in um, New York state and they had some mirrored access in California so that went, if something went down and their main location in New Orleans, they're good. Uh, a lot of the other companies had mirrored backup in Houston, which had just as many problems <laughs> as New Orleans. So their mirrored site is, is down. So when people tell me, Oh, I'm good. I'm in the cloud. Like, no. How about we think this through a little bit? Right. Um, but it would also assume that the person saying that understands what the cloud is and how that works, which really at the end of the day, the cloud is just a remote access to a different computer. Yes. You know, the what you see on your side and well, I can get it on my cell phone and in my computer 
therefore it's everywhere. It's really just remote access to a giant server data center somewhere that is being hosted. So in the example that you described, if, if that gets hit and that central data, the cloud, it's not actually in like the sky where, right. where yeah. nothing it's actually housed somewhere. Yeah. You there, just don't there know is, where it is. There is a physical location for it. And, you know, with, with the big players, the Googles and Microsofts, they have so many layers of redundancy that you're talking an uptime of the, I forget how many nines it is, but I think it's like nine or five nines, five nines, five nines went. And this is something that uh, when anybody is talking about remote access for anything, whether it's um, hardware as a service, software as a service, um, infrastructure, whatever it is, platform, um, make sure you looking at your contract and look for that five nine clause. And what that means is that you will have access 99.999% of the time. That translates to they are willing to guarantee you that you will have access 24-7 over an entire year with the exception of six hours. And they set aside six hours for maintenance. But that's what that 5-9 clause is. And if you have any remote access provider, if they're not willing to guarantee 5-9 access, they don't have disaster plans. <laughs> but these are the types of things that, you know, we're talking fractions of a percentage. And so for most people, they only have experience with what they have experience with. So people that haven't experienced, say, ransomware or haven't experienced needing to use a backup. You could say, I could see in a sales pitch, you say our uptime is 99.9%. Is that enough for you? 99.9, sure. But when it goes down, that is a gigantic problem. We, We had experienced that a couple of years ago where we only had one ISP in our office and our whole company was, you know, doing remote tech support and our phones were VoIP. So having that one central point of failure, you know, it was a dumb foresight on our part, but so the internet went down for, and you know, when the internet goes down, you don't know if it's going to be for five minutes or in this case, it was down for six hours. And I had done the math on how much just wages that were wasted on unproductive employees didn't even consider whether or not refunds upset customers, how backed up we were, how many more hours in labor that I had to pay just to catch up. Then you're penalized with overtime. All these things that could have been avoided for $60 a month to have a second ISP run through the firewall and okay, if I never need it, great. But with that one experience, you know, twice shy, like I never ever will run without having concurrent ISPs because I have felt that pain. But before I actually had felt it, you know, I 
knew that that existed, but it's like, you know, the internet barely goes out when it does go out, it's out for, okay, five, 10 minutes. I can live with that. But when it was five, to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a hypothetical situation is a lot easier to accept what happens than it is when it's actually happening to you. And, you know, that moment is still like drilled in my head of everybody being like, well, what do I do? And we have to decide, do we send everybody home? What if the internet comes back and you call Comcast? They have no idea. And all these, you know, all these unknowns. So planning for the worst case scenario, especially when it is something that is devastating. And that was, that was a simple, the internet went out, but we could have prevented that from being as big of a problem as it was. And, you know, this is an anecdote of five, six years ago. And uh, here's me sharing the disaster of when the internet was out for a few hours, a couple years ago, but it's uh-huh. still, you know, I feel that pain and would never put myself in that position again. When we suggest it to our clients, they say, oh, it's an extra 60 bucks a month. Like, you know, that's $720 a year just in case. But if you haven't felt it, it's, it's difficult to just shake somebody and be like, this is something that is terrible if it happens to you, but if it hasn't happened to them, they, they don't see the value. So is there any suggestions you have for getting people to not have to feel the pain before they decide that these things are important? Well, I would say, you know, to your point, an extra 60 bucks a month to have a second service provider. What's the likelihood that Comcast and Verizon go down at the same time? They use different equipment. You know, that's that's a Hurricane Katrina coming through or, you know, some major disaster. But for any company, you think about this, seven hundred twenty dollars. That's probably when you think about your employees and their wages. If a small company of 10 people, that's probably about a minute's worth of payroll. Seven hundred twenty dollars. And. You know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, well, that'll never happen to me. Oh, yes, it will. It's not a matter of if, it's when, and it will always happen at the worst time. It will happen when your CEO is in the middle of an investor presentation. And he says, well, let me look something up real quick on my phone. And your access goes down. Nobody is angrier than a CEO who doesn't get access to their remote data when you know they get flustered after a minute. You know, yes, your customer yeah. service department might be going, yay, it's down. We don't have to answer calls. We this is great. Yeah. And my shift ends soon. So the next person has to deal with the, the mad people that I didn't have to call and it's not right. my fault. So it's a, you know, it really is. It's not an if, it's when. So it's important for every organization to figure out what is, what or what are your failure points? We rely on data. That is the gold in any company. I don't care if you're a service company, a manufacturer, doesn't matter. The keys to the kingdom are in your data. And if you lose access to that, We had issues. It does not take long. Uh, I believe it was the Ponemon Institute did a study and found that it takes less than 24 hours for you to have permanent lost revenue from lost 
access. Uh, banks are required to have systems that come back up within 20 minutes because they know how panicked customers get if they can't get online. But you may not be a bank, but you have customers who, if they can't access you or you can't look up their file. So if one of your clients called you and said, Andrew, I'm having a problem. And you go to look up their file and you go, oh, I'm sorry. I, I can't find your file. I can't help you. Oh, <laughs> that's not their issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I mean, especially I take that into consideration when we set up our systems internally, not only from the side of this is best practice and we need to do this regardless that it costs extra money, but just the, if something were to happen to us, reputation and trust wise, in an organization, I mean, IT, for the most part, it's built on trust equity. People don't know what they don't know when it comes to IT. They can't tell the difference between Geek Squad and someone that is, you know, a network engineer at Amazon. Like to, to them, it's like if you if you know how to like troubleshoot a Word document that won't open, you must be an IT genius and all IT geniuses are made the same. So kind of just one of the realizations that I'd come to an accountants, enrolled agents, CPAs, it's, it's kind of the same thing. The layman can't really discern who is good and who is bad other than did my taxes get done and I trust you. That's, mm -hmm. that's basically what it all comes down to is trust at the end of the day. So for us putting extra levels of two-factor authentication on everything we do, even when it's like, yeah, but this person's always getting locked out and it's such a pain. And okay, what if this were breached? Like they can read my Slack messages. Like, is this going to be the end of the world? But at the same time, it's like, if we have a data breach and have to disclose that to all of our customers who have trusted us to stop them from having one, it's something that is going to take a lot of damage control. Oh, yeah. especially for accountants, enrolled agents, anybody where your clients are relying on you because they don't have the expertise or even internally. You work for an organization, they're expecting that you'll make sure that things go smoothly. And, you know, the way I find a lot of people think it will never happen to me. But then when somebody has been through an issue, they go, what was I thinking? Why Never didn't I do plan that for again. this? Don't ever want to go through that again. Uh, I had to spend weeks explaining to people and doing my mea culpas. Uh, and again, to your point, you say, well, what's the worst that happens? They get access to my Slack. Who cares? Uh, once they've gotten access to your Slack, they can get into anything else. So got direct access to the people that have keys to the castle and you're yes. a trusted person that's inside the organization. We see that a lot with email too. Why do I have yes. to protect this? It's like when you go to your bank website and click forgot password, where does it go? Oh, email is <laughs> very important. It's not just 
oh, you can see who I've been emailing, like have fun with it. It's like, yeah. And then I'm sure you all have those customers that don't use the portal that you've sent them. So they're uploading the 1040s from last year and their W2s and uh, whatever. If they want to steal my information, let them have it. It's like, you clearly haven't been through that situation before because you wouldn't be so lackadaisical about it. Oh, that's such a a good point about, you know, a lot of uh, accounting firms have portals set up for their clients and there are a lot of clients who don't use them. And then they email you their W-2s and their 1099s. And while companies are not supposed to be putting your full social security number on 1099s anymore, people still have old software that does. Now it's been like five years since you're not supposed to, you know, you're supposed to see the little asterisk asterisk in your last four. I got a W or a 1099 for 2020 that had my full social on it. And so people are sending these through email and they don't realize how easy it is for somebody to capture that. And even though your client violated your protocol, because you said use the portal, if that data is stolen, it's your fault. It's not their fault that they broke the rules. No, it was like as minute they hit send, it's now your email. We actually, I, I was talking with a guy a couple couple weeks ago and we were having a similar discussion and he, he said, I thought this was so great. He said, if my clients are too stupid to use the portal, then they clearly don't make enough money for me to want to have them as a client. <laughs> well, something, you know, let, let's add on to this is that, um, you know, yes, we've talked about how you should set up the technology to make sure you have redundancies, the just in cases. Um, but you also have to realize that the number one failure in IT systems is human. It's not the tech that's really going to break down. It's the humans that break the system. And thank you, COVID. We are all tired Everybody, where everybody is suffering from some level of COVID fatigue, regardless of how badly they've been hit by it. We're just, we're tired. Tired employees want easy. So two-factor authentication, you know, I'm supposed to shut down my computer, but then I had to go through all this. No, I'm just going to leave it up. And, oh, my client sent me an email. It's I could go back to my desk or I could just open it up on my phone. I I have a friend of mine who's an IT expert. He does not have an email app on his phone anymore. He will not check email on his phone. He said, because the sophistication of phishing attacks is now unbelievable. He said, you used to be able to to see where there were typos in it. You know, they, somebody would send you an email saying um, the your bank needs to update your information and they would have your bank logo, but it's the wrong colors. So it was pretty easy to see. Or if you clicked on their email address, you'll see it wasn't from your bank. It's from, you know, six, nine, seven, two point eight, eight at whatever. Uh, but now all of that is being spoofed perfectly. So. The thing I'm worried about is the fatigue 
getting in the way of some of our IT controls. And again, the attacks are getting more and more sophisticated. So we don't know always who did what and when, because some of the most sophisticated ransomware, just it comes in from somebody's cell phone. They opened up an email and clicked on a link and the link didn't go anywhere. And they're like, oh, whatever. But the link actually, no, the link didn't take you to your bank. It just seemed like it was broken, but it downloaded an app onto your phone. Then we take our phone and we charge it with our laptop or our desktop. And that launches the software into our network. And then that software is going to sit in your network for a while. It's It's not immediate. Yeah. I mean, so your yesterday backup just backs up and puts it back in there. And that's why having those staggered backups and the older versions, because if it is sitting there dormant, it is still there. So, and there's usually not just a, well, so-and-so clicked that button and then everything went to crap. So we need to back up to a minute ago before that button was clicked. These things are sitting there. Like they're so complex and so intelligent. We actually had a client come to us. They were a title agency and they were telling us about a attack that they had. Their email got hacked and what the hackers did, which I thought was insanely brilliant. People always say, well, why don't they do something more productive? It's like, because they're making a ton of money off of this deceit. So what they did was they set up a, an email filter that when the title company sent an email to put money in escrow, it deletes the original email and sends out a new one. Same, same everything except the bank account goes to their bank and they erase the instructions, call us to confirm that this is the right bank account. So the customers on the other end, expecting this email from the title company, if they call the title company and say, did you send this to me? Is it real? They will say, yes, it came from their actual email on their letterhead. Everything to the T is exactly the same, except for the digits on that bank account. And it's so sophisticated and why would someone do that? Because getting in just got them tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars because they got it to work one time. So Mm -hmm. why don't they do something better with their time? Well, I mean, you know, if you could get a job at McDonald's or be a network engineer making multiple six figures, that's why there's more money in it. And it's unfortunate. And making multiple six figures when you live in a country that the average wage is a hundred dollars a day. Exactly. (laughs) It's, you know, it's purely driven by money. And that's why, uh, you know, I've, I've heard people say that I don't understand why somebody's system is down for a year after they've gotten ransomware. Well, it's because the ransomware is so sophisticated. It sits on your system. It will destroy all of the backups it has access to from when it was installed. But it won't trigger itself for months or a year, depending upon, you know, the more sophisticated people, it will trigger sooner. 
the ones who are, you know, the 12 year old kid who's testing this, they might want it to sit there for a lot longer so that nobody knows really where it came from. And then it gets triggered. And if you don't have these multiple backups and multiple backups that aren't attached to your system. So you need those archived backups, but they have to be separate from your current server because that that ransomware will access anything that is connected to it. So it will wipe out cell phones, laptops, servers, desktops, whatever it can get to. So basically, backup is not just plugging in an external drive and assuming that everything is okay because you spent $100 on Amazon and you know there's so many layers to backup disaster recovery and many of them you don't appreciate until it's too late. And these are the types of things that unfortunately in the IT world, usually it's when a new client is coming to us that it is too late. And we had a relatively large organization come to us. They weren't an accounting firm, but they were hit with ransomware and we need to keep this hush hush, blah, blah, blah. How do we do this? And it's like, well, the way that you fix this is you access your backup. I'm assuming that you're coming to me because you don't have one. Well, you know, the guy in the office, like he's really good with computers, but like he can't figure this one out. And it's like, yeah, he, he was good, but clearly not good enough because now, because this was not set up properly, you're in a terrible situation. And, you know, it used to be oh, viruses. This is so annoying. I get these pop-ups and my computer's slow. And now it's your whole company is being held hostage. Send us hundreds of thousands of dollars. Millions. Millions via, via Bitcoin. And then it goes into that wallet and then is spread to a bunch of different other cryptocurrencies. So the likelihood of catching the person behind it, tracing what, like so much resources have to go into figuring these things out. And, you know, the great and, thing. And the other part of it is uh, you can't just clean ransomware. Yeah. You're Remove have, the virus. You don't have your company. Yeah. It, it's, you know, people say, well, I'll, you know, I'll just, we, we can clean the virus. You know, there's there's malware bites. Like, you know, there's software out there that'll clean right. the virus. No, no. Ransomware basically changes the DNA of your system. If, and, and if you think about this, I don't know that I would ever trust a server again that had ransomware on it. No, you're going to be replacing all of your IT. Think about how expensive that's going to be. And let's add to the issue that we have chip shortages right now. So good luck if you have to replace a lot of equipment. Good luck finding it. And then all of the downtime of getting, you know, I don't know about you, but every time I have to update my phone, there's a learning curve. And that's just a phone. But every time any of your employees has to switch to a new computer, there's a learning curve there. And just the payroll dollars, you should just be hearing cha-ching in the back of your mind. Um, but before we, we scare your audience too much. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, there <laughs> because, is good news. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a disaster expert. I am not an IT expert. 
but I do understand the risk. And uh, going back to your question about how do you how do you get people to realize that this is such a big deal, is that I will actually get them to write down what is the cost of doing nothing. What's the worst that can happen? And just walk them through what's the worst that could happen. Okay, you go down for, let's start simple, two hours. What's the impact on your organization? Now let's take that out 24 hours. Now let's go for a week. In um, the city of Baltimore, they got hit with ransomware. They literally locked out, could not do anything. They couldn't issue real estate tax invoices. And they're trying to figure out what to do. They're completely locked out for over a month. Can you imagine how much work that becomes when nobody can do anything for a month? Payroll dollars should be going to ching. Then all the overtime when you do get back to your system and there's trying to figure out what's missing. So what backup were we able to get to? What data is missing? How do we get caught up with all of that? So you start getting people to walk through the what ifs and it doesn't take long before your head is exploding going, this is gonna hurt. And then we'll do, what are the benefits of taking action? There's no lost trust. There's no reputational issue. You are not front page internet news of the latest company to get hacked. You know, when Home Depot got hacked, oh, Lowe's was going, yay for us, because nobody wanted to take their credit card to Home Depot anymore. So Lowe's picked up a bunch of work. If you're an accounting firm and you have to tell your clients that you've been hacked, I'm going to guess that you're going to lose probably a good 25% of your clients because they don't trust you anymore. And it's a legal requirement to disclose that from the IRS as well. So it's not even a, we can sweep this under the rug and hopefully mm-hmm. nothing bad happens. And there, there have been a couple firms, uh, the name escapes me, but there was one in New York that they had a data breach. And as a result of their data breach, one of their clients was a medical center and the medical center got hacked as well. And the patients of the medical center filed a class action lawsuit against the accounting firm that had the data breach to begin with. So Mm -hmm. they're getting hit not only with having to pay for credit monitoring for all of their clients and having to disclose to all their clients that this happened, but then they're also getting a class action lawsuit because this happened. And All of these things, you know, we all come, we come back around to, if you have the proper disaster recovery solution in place, you can avoid, and I mean, everything in nine, in it, you know, it's 99.9 and how many nines at the end, but so many of these doomsday scenarios are avoidable to where, oh my God, this is crazy. This is crazy. Let's click undo. Okay. Are we back? Okay. What did we lose? Okay. It's, it's only been an hour of lost time. This is inconvenient. This is going to be a rough day, but tomorrow we'll see what's, what's still missing. And probably in two days, everything's fine because we've got that second parachute. 
and, and you know, we haven't even talked about the panic that happens when your system goes down, whether it's, you know, because of a, a, an attack or your IT service provider goes down, whatever it is. Um, the panic and the emotional toll on what do we do? How do we handle this? Uh, I always find it entertaining if you're at a store and the power goes out and people are looking around going, I, I don't know how to ring you up. Can I steal now? <laughs> yeah, it was like, and, and I've literally been in a store. I mean, it, I was in a uh, convenience store. It's not like I was buying a lot of stuff, but they just looked at me and said, go. <laughs> you know, we don't know how to do this. I've been in a retail store where I probably had several hundred dollars of stuff I was trying to buy. And they're like, we can't check you out. And it's like, can't you just take my credit card number, write it down? I, I don't know. So I know I, I left the store and I can't imagine that that store didn't lose thousands of dollars because they didn't know what to do. So my good news for your listeners is, or recommendation is twofold. Number one, we're accountants. I understand the IT concepts. I understand about disaster recovery, but I'm not an IT expert. So the first thing you can do is make sure you have a really good IT firm. I mean, you wouldn't trust your car repairs to the cousin of some friend who met somebody and they do repair work in their garage. Uh, but he's giving me a great rate. <laughs> yeah, give me a great rate. Or, you know, he's charging nothing because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's great. <laughs> or, you know, my my partner's kid is a whiz. Now, would you trust your car to a 13 year old? Come on. And your car is so crucial to you. Your your IT system is so crucial to your company. Make sure you've got an expert there to take care of it and ask the question. What else can we do? So often, even good IT people get used to hearing, no, no, I don't want to spend the money. No, I don't want to do that. So they, you might end up just doing what the client has told you to do. The client should be asking that question. What else can I do? What am I missing? What's new? And if you have an IT person internally, um, Make sure somebody's standing behind them when you ask that question, because they may faint. <laughs> They're not used to having anybody say, what, you want my opinion? You, you want my advice? So that would be my first thing. Is go talk to your IT person and say, what are we not doing? The second person to ask is your insurance broker. Some people I've heard say, well, I don't have to worry about this because I have cyber insurance. <laughs> Yeah. Just like you don't got to wear a seatbelt because you've got car insurance. Exactly. Just do whatever. And there are a couple of things there. One is you've got to know what your policy covers. And I understand that some of the coverage gets expensive. So uh, I won't necessarily sign up for every possible rider that there is, but I want to know what is available. And the people who are issuing these IT policies oh, they are very aware of what's going on right now. They know what they have to protect against. Uh, very often they have 
they will con if you ask your insurance carrier, they will conduct an IT audit for free and tell you where you've got weaknesses. Another question to ask might be, what might they cover or where would they give you a discount? Because they want you to take all the steps that you possibly can. So most insurance companies are willing to give you rebates or discounts on your insurance if you follow their recommendations. If they've got experts, why not listen to them? <laughs> listen to your IT provider, listen to your insurance carrier. Yeah, it's just like how you want your clients to listen to you on tax advice. It's like someone that doesn't live in that world. And they're like, oh, well, I've been deducting my house for the last 10 years. I just call it a business expense. And it's like, just because you haven't been caught doesn't mean that you should be doing it. And a lot of these things, you know, being in the proactive mindset, having these these policies and procedures in place so that when they happen, it's not this whole panic thing. And, you know, we were talking mostly just about the opportunity cost of ransomware and these things happening, but not even looking at when we have to take on a client, what we'll say a perfect scenario. We have someone that comes to us. I was taking I, I saw a webinar from the ICPA about cybersecurity, spooked me. I want to be proactive now. We do the audit. There's nothing glaring. You know, there's always going to be holes somewhere, but nothing where it's like, oh my gosh, like you've already been infected and it's sitting here and we've got to do crazy remediation. Even in, in those scenarios, you know, the onboarding fee, it's reasonable. It's nothing extravagant, but then the same scenario, somebody comes to us, when it is disaster, we've been hacked, blah, blah, blah. And usually when people say we've been hacked, it's, it's either two ways. It's either, okay, you got like a phishing email, don't click it, you haven't been hacked. And then there's other times where it's like, oh yeah, you've been hacked. This is, <laughs> this is serious. And when we get those scenarios, it's like, gosh, you know, these so many things they can be avoided if you're taking the proper steps to stop them from happening. And that's why the IRS is requiring security awareness training as part of compliance for keeping your firm safe. And why with our clients, we've, we've just signed up uh, recently with an organization that does phishing testing. So they'll send spoof emails and you'll get reports of, who fell for it and then be able to, you know, that's one of those things you fall for at once. You're never going to be clicking on it again because you don't want to be outed. And I have a buddy that works at, uh, at McKesson. And he said, he said, yeah, I, he's like, I clicked it one time and I had to do like an hour of training. He's like, I don't open any emails anymore. And it's like, that's, that's really, it's smart. It's not just a big punishment, but um, I think it's a, a great place to, to leave off. Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can people learn more about you? Uh, if they want to contact me, they can check me out on my website at sustainablecfo.com. And my, while I've done the disaster recovery, my main focus is helping elevate smart finance, financial professionals who want to be seen, be heard, and be valued for their expertise. And one of the ways they can be valued is to protect 
their company by thinking about their IT. But I'm too small. It doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care if you're a sole proprietor. You have confidential data. Your credit card data is there. Your social security number is there. Your company FEIN number is there. That's all data that people can use. I've heard companies say, well, I only have one employee. Well, where's their personnel file? Oh, <laughs> it's online. <laughs> yeah. And those are the ones where if it hits, it hits the hardest, but you know, it's, Hopefully, you know, we can educate people to understand that if it hasn't happened to you, or at least to your knowledge, it hasn't happened to you, you know, that that's a whole other conversation of <laughs> how do you know that it hasn't already happened? You know, are, are they going to pop up on your screen and say, by the way, every time you enter in information, we're stealing it and sending it off to our servers and selling it to marketing lists. You know, they're not going to tell you that they are in that would be like a criminal that breaks into your house and then starts like playing the trumpet, be like, I'm stealing from <laughs> you. Like, you know, it's, you want to be sneaky, take your time, get as much as you can. But Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a great episode. And everyone, if you enjoyed the episode, please like, and share as uh, subscribe. And for all accounts that are listening, if you know, this episode hadn't scared you enough. If you'd like a complimentary IT audit, you could go to tech4accountants.net. It's the number four accountants.net. And uh, you could sign up for a complimentary IT audit. And we can let you know if your backup is actually working as well as go through checklist of things that the IRS is looking for to make sure that you keep them happy and keep your clients safe and protected. Jennifer, thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you, Andrew. You too. Thank you for listening to the Tech Talk for Accountants show. Be sure to subscribe if you like the show. And remember, if you would like a complimentary IT audit of your business, go to rushtech.online slash podcast to schedule a time with a certified technician who can look over your current IT systems and make recommendations on how to make sure you and your clients are safe.